Welcome to Playwright, a podcast about creating and sharing new ways to play. My name is Ryan Hammond. You can call me H. And I'm Ryan Quintel. You can call me QH. It's time to change <laughs> formats. Oh, no. I'm not prepared for this. <laughs> I'm catching you off guard. You see, I'm fresh off of seeing literally moments ago, just finished the first episode of the latest season of Doctor Who. Okay. Have you heard about any of uh, this Doctor Whovian news developments over the past week or so? Over the past week? Let's see, I was clued in pretty closely probably six months ago. <laughs> okay. Nothing so in the last week. What happened? It hasn't changed really in six months, but to, <laughs> suffice to say, the new Doctor is a female. Oh, it's like that riddle. I can't operate on him. He's my son. Why? Because Doctor Who is a woman. Ah, a woman the whole time. We were just biased. We were bringing the patriarchy into the show. It's so good. H, you have to, Hmm. do you, you're not a Whovian in any way. Is that correct? I've seen the first couple of seasons after they did the reboot. Oh, okay. Um, Wow. That's a lot. I don't keep up with it necessarily. So, you know, I hate to use this this platform to do this but now's never there's never been a better time to get into doctor who <laughs> i i really loved it the cinematography is now i would say if you've seen those first couple seasons you know it goes from like very british like yeah uh off kilter not really super put together to there's a moment when they transition to a new doctor about halfway through that reboot where it takes on a very sort of fox crime drama look where it starts to get a little more colorful and a little bit more dramatic with its lighting and color grading gets involved. But this latest season is now at the like HBO Netflix tier of production. There are certain scenes and shots that are just absolutely uh, cinemagraphic is if that's even a term. Uh, it's really well shot. And just like HBO and Netflix, it's about 70% stand-up specials, which is weird for a Doctor <laughs> Who season, but it really pulls together. Yes, they recently retired the boxing uh, aspect of <laughs> the new uh, Doctor Who and the adult film stuff. So that's that's exciting. That's a shame. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's really good. Uh, I think you could probably skip the in-between stuff, but hopefully they pay some fan service to the in-between stuff. Uh, with this new doctor, but it's really, really well done. So hot tip, go check it out. All right. So that's, uh, that's your takeaway from the new doctor who is it needs more fan service. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> yeah. Quote well, me on I that. can always count on you for the, the <laughs> appropriate takes. <laughs> yep. <laughs> well, let's get to some video games. How about, okay. Today I'm going to go first and we might've even pitched this game before. It's one of those where like, I'm not, entirely sure but here we go yeah, every new I- idea i feel like i come up with these days i'm like surely this has made an appearance <laughs> on the show we must have done this by now <laughs> right right there's no We're way 70 I have a episodes new idea. in <laughs> so this is an fps uh first person shooter with a gun that uh corrupts game information 
And if you miss your opponent, it leaves a hole in the map, like a, you know, a, a, a spot that you can fall through. And so as you, uh, as you shoot more, as you uh, have more of a firefight, the world becomes this kind of Swiss cheese type of scenario. And uh, you have to be very careful navigating around. And so maybe you can use that to your advantage, like Wile E. Coyote style, like leaving them surrounded by holes that they can't cross. But yeah, essentially you're uh, just blowing holes and things. So we'll start there then. Cool. So I immediately started thinking about that sort of Axiom Verge glitch gun uh, that that came to mind. Have you seen this? You know what I'm talking about? I know the game, I haven't played it though, so I don't know the specifics. So essentially you get a gun in that game that has the ability to kind of, well, it's not the most uh, efficient attack weapon, it can kind of glitch out uh, certain aspects of a level and turn potentially enemies into platforms or platforms uh, into malleable walls that you can pass through. There's there There's all sorts of little cool properties it has but i started thinking if you had this thing that like punched holes in the environment wouldn't it be interesting if in some way you could like punch holes in bad guys like what what would you what could you like potentially expose you know how some horror movies they like cut off something's arm and then it just grows this like bigger longer like grosser Mm. arm i wonder if you could like empower potentially uh your enemies that you have to slay with this same weapon that would be interesting if every body part had like maybe five transformations and then they had like a vulnerable one on the inside like a russian nesting doll but you know (laughs) it gets more powerful until you uncover the vulnerable one so as you're having these fights you're actually making your enemy more dangerous before you can really take it out yeah, I like the idea of being able to punch holes in the environment, but then, like, what happens when you fall through? Like, what's the consequence of death? Well, I mean, death, right? <laughs> well, yeah, I guess what I what I mean to say is, can I, like, put myself, like, can I really break the game? Does it really break the game code? Like, can I make a level unwinnable? Uh, well, I mean, I, I, I guess I'm kind of picturing this as, like, a multiplayer type thing. And so it would be like a like a versus type scenario. Uh, and so if like it would be like falling through the bottom of a stage and you can see like the untextured bits from down below. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we've all been there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, Which is a strange but, you know, thing to just, admit. But <laughs> yeah. Right. And so I was thinking originally like it'd be kind of fun if this gun corrupts game elements. So maybe the first time it kind of removes the texturing and then it it simplifies the the wireframe and then it and then you can actually see through it with like the just the wireframe edges and then you can fall through that and it would have that effect on everything that it touches you know including the other players but you know i'm i'm definitely able to take this in whatever direction if we want to get like big in the red faction gorilla about the way that we blow holes and things and i'm totally cool with that i i think it would be neat to have you know, so many, <laughs> this is going to, I'm going to pitch this and people are going to go, that does not sound neat, right? <laughs> I think in my head, which is so many of first person shooters are so um, Twitch based and especially in the competitive scene, like it's who can put the tiny little white dot on who the fastest and most accurately, mm-hmm. right? One of the things I love about a game like Overwatch is you have characters like Winston or, or Mercy who they're 
their primary weapon has a little bit of honing to it, but it, in Winston's case, it's a little messy. You're not quite hitting the thing maybe you expect you're hitting. And if this gun had a property like that, like it was a gun so powerful, it's blowing holes through the environment. I love the idea of like this, this hunt going around or you could potentially die from one or two shots of this thing. But if it say hits a wall before it goes through you, it's, it's entirely ineffective. You're just kind of giving away your position and clearing the path for your opponent. Let's think also about like, what are ways that we can use if we have a terrain destroying gun? What are ways that we can use that to our advantage? I like um, Rainbow Six Siege, where part of the game is destroying the environment around you and making line of sight where previously there would have been walls in the way and, you know, stuff like that. And so, you know, what creative ways can we use a terrain destroying equipment to enhance the gameplay experience? For me, I think it would be really cool to have something where you have giant momentum like pads or something, some energy fields are sort of things you get that propel you upwards mm-hmm. in games, but maybe they can also propel you left or right. And so you find yourself knocking down walls so that you can actually be propelled near across the map um, in an instant. So you're kind of creating these fast lanes of travel all over the place. I wonder if you do have a gun that corrupts game data, if these like power up type of materials could have a... You could set them as traps almost. Oh, okay. You know, if you were to corrupt the function of something, maybe if it's a, a bounce pad, then a corrupted version would launch you and never let you down. So you'll just keep on floating out into the out into the air or whatever. Yeah, or could you imagine potentially getting these sort of Fortnite-esque spike traps or something, setting those on a floor and when somebody goes to shoot out the floor beneath them, they find themselves falling onto spikes. So you can you could kind of set those things up everywhere that somebody would potentially be gaining some level of momentum. It feels like kind of a straightforward implementation of a trap. Let's let's get really creative. This feels like a different idea. Well, you know what? Let's uh, let's go for it. Let's say, mm, nah, that is a different idea. That's not going to work here. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to write that down for next week. Okay, <laughs> save it. You can also do things, I think, in addition to your sort of traditional, oh, I made the walls spikes or whatever, like there's an energy field or something. I love the idea of maybe having, instead of grenades, like bombs that could burrow into walls. So mm-hmm. if somebody goes to shoot it, potentially it blows back on them or it damages more than intended or depending on the wall you're blowing up, maybe you shoot through it and you you hit like a power cell and you end up causing a chain reaction and blowing up way more of the map than you intend. Like, I love the idea of putting things behind some of the walls that would cause reactions that potentially make, there's like no risk in shooting a wall, right? Like how do you create that risk is where, where my mind is circling around. It'd be interesting if you had control of like, like the black holes in Super Mario Galaxy, where, you know, as soon as you enter kind of their their sphere, they pull you in. And so you can hide these in places and maybe their their effect is blocked off by walls or something. So as soon as somebody shoots out a wall, then it's like getting sucked out of an airlock in an aliens movie or something. Oh, that's cool. I'm thinking, you know, I mean, 
the long-standing game that everybody points to, or series that everybody points to for destruction, is Red Faction, right? And their most recent entry had you running around with a hammer or something, didn't they? Where you were kind of smashing up walls that way? Well, yes and no. A Red Faction Guerrilla, which was on the Xbox 360, had some pretty impressive destruction physics. They made one since then that wasn't very good. Also on the Xbox 360, and then they remastered the good ones. So in a way, it is the most recent, but it's also (laughs) kind of not. (laughs) Yeah, okay. So I had Gorilla on my mind. I forget about the one that came after Gorilla. It was a Red Faction Armageddon or something like that. It was a super forgettable title. I was going to say, it doesn't sound like I missed much. No, I don't think so. (laughs) I'm trying to think about, like, what if the level was less like your traditional Rainbow Six map and... Instead, it was like a geometric solid, and you had to kind Mm -hmm. of Minecraft carve your way around it. (laughs) That's a good idea. Okay, so it's like a 3D Worms game then. (laughs) Yeah, I've never played a Worms game, so I don't know. Oh, really? Oh, you really should. I mean... (laughs) Oh, no. A new thing. Yeah, no, they're they're good. Uh, One of the things about Worms, it's a side-on perspective. It's like like those little tank games that were pretty popular. But you have all these silly weapons, and they not only damage the opponent worm units, they also, their splash damage destroys bits of the stage. And so it kind of eats away at it, and it changes the terrain. And so you could definitely do something like that in 3D as well, where... You have to navigate this space. In Worms, you even had a weapons like the blowtorch or the uh, the mole grenades that their intent, their purpose is to allow you to navigate through the course, to burn your own way through the course to get to somewhere else, whether it's an item or an enemy that you want to hit uh, or if you want to set a trap for them. Yeah, you should play Worms. You would like it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, I, man, that that makes sense to me. And if you took... That feeling of I so many times when I like attempt to play Minecraft and I can't play that game very well <laughs> as much as a game as there is there. But when I go to play it, that sensation of being underground, having nothing except for a shovel or a pickaxe and digging, digging, digging. And then that moment where you like crack open a wall and you're inside a cavern and it's mm-hmm. really big and it's it's revealing and it's magnificent and that that feeling of whoa the stuff inside here is really cool and then if you were to smash that up against the feeling of a overbuilt uh fort in Fortnite, where players are chopping down (laughs) walls with maybe there's going to be another person on the other side of this i have no idea and they're totally ready to shoot me because it took a couple hits to kind of knock this wall down i think having a game where there's that constant expectation of potentially i'm knocking down a wall to give an opponent a point blank shot to my face um, mm-hmm. is kind of compelling. That's cool. I like where this is going. We have to stop it there, though. Ugh. And let's give it a name. I feel like this would suit a Minecraft pun well. It's a first person shooter. You could call it something like Tunnel Vision. That's fine. Oh. Well, that'll do. I feel like I, that's one of those bitches where I feel like we just started to warm up and we settled on the name. This is the time for all of our listeners out there to please write in, call. You don't have either of our phone numbers, but if you can find a way to call, actually, please don't just write in <laughs> and help us with what, where we should continue to take this and, and what we should name the darn thing. Well, let's, uh, let's see what you've got up your sleeve today. It's your turn to pitch. 
My pitch today is simple, straightforward, I hope. I love the game Bejeweled. And I love puzzle games against other people. I learned this about myself in multiplayer Tetris. So, I thought, what if there was a multiplayer, say, two to six or four to eight something player, large bejeweled grid, where all the players are playing for matches at the same time. If your match cascades into somebody else's match, uh, maybe both of you get points, maybe you can subtract points from them, um, and you get to combine jewels in different ways to create bombs and traps for other people to accidentally trigger as part of their matches um, and potentially lose them points or gain you points, whatever. We can figure it all out in the details. Interesting. Well, let's start the clock then. So when you say making somebody else's match, is that um, does that mean that everybody owns a color or... Uh, like how how do how do you determine what is your match and what is somebody else's? Yeah, so this is the thing that is interesting to me. So often head-to-head puzzle games are always both people have their own puzzles that they're trying to separately solve. I love the idea of creating that big grid that people are all competing for matches at the t- same time. So the speed of which you're able to identify a match uh, somewhere on the board is happening in real time against all the players. Maybe this is only controllable with two people. Um, But if the grid is large enough, I think you could do multiple. If somebody finds a match before you, they play it. The points that are banked go to them. Um, If you both play a match within, let's say, some grace period of each other, very, very soon after, uh, potentially you both get points, um, so on and so forth. I feel like it would be interesting if if the grid started out kind of unreasonably big at first, and so there's always going to be matches, and people just kind of start looking wherever, and there's very little crossover, there's very little like people competing for the same matches, and at that point you can choose to either sabotage what your uh, opponents are doing, or just to find your own little corner of the board and start matching there. Uh, and then as the match goes on, the grid gets smaller and smaller until eventually like you're you're competing for every last match that you can grab. Yeah, that's cool. So you get the you get the battle royale. Well now we've got bejeweled battle royale happening, which is kinda cool. Maybe as you play, you could also shrink the number of players. Maybe it starts off as like a ten player thing. You have point thresholds, and if you don't like If you haven't met the point threshold by the time the time is up, Hmm. then you're eliminated. And so you have this kind of like frantic play for points. Everyone's hunting for the big matches. Yeah, or it's just the kind of standard racing game thing where after a little while, the person in the last place is eliminated. Uh, Yeah, I like like that. That does give a certain certain rhythm to the, the shrinking board as well. So one of the things that I'm curious about is that there's not a ton of strategy involved in color matching games. Maybe I'm wrong, mm-hmm. but from what I've uh, from what I've surmised from my time with Bejeweled, which is you know a, a well long time by now, I don't feel like I feel like the game ends when it wants to end, and there's not a lot that I can do other than like keeping a couple for a rainy day in the corner that I know I can always count on, but like there's not a lot that I can do to really set myself up for 
success or failure. Yeah, that's a great point. And I get the same feeling of Bejeweled, especially when I'm playing in classic mode, that when you get that kind of classic, no more moves, right? Yeah. Like that always feels like uh, in in a lot of lot of playthroughs that you didn't have full control over that right. scenario. I'm sure maybe especially because there is like the endless mode, and so you know that like whatever state the board finds itself in, if it wants to make a match, it can. So it is just deciding the game is over. Right, right, exactly. You're like, you could match this if you really wanted to, Bejeweled. You chose to drop yeah. the shitty pieces. <laughs> yeah, so uh, you'd either have to compensate for that or... Okay, so m- maybe if you're trying to race to get higher scores, you can um, spend score to maybe uh, swap a color um, or to you know inject some level of... Uh, less randomness and a little bit more skill into the board maybe you every player is assigned one of the bejeweled colors and you can kind of boom splash in your color in a section Mm, okay and so that would at least eliminate the the possibility of you being totally matchless but yeah you would have to imagine this thing has to use the algorithm of always have matches on the board right because i love the idea of (laughs) Of two or three people all scrambling to pick the three green triangles at the top over and over <laughs> as, as nothing else is on the board. So another thing about color matching games like Bejeweled that I don't know if it suits um, the kind of frantic uh, real-time multiplayer uh, competitive matches is that a lot of the ways to actually succeed and to get high scores in these games is to set yourself up for like long-term Payoffs uh, to set aside a four in a row because you think you think you can turn it into a five in a row. And that's like, you know, that's really good. So you set that aside and try to match tiles in the next column over to try to get that last piece that you need to connect them all. And, And that's the kind of thing that if I saw somebody else working on something like that on the other side of the board, I would just go over there and ruin it for them, you know, just take a few points for myself. So how do we keep it from being like too easy to sabotage other players to where it just would not be any fun. Right. Are you saying that right now, nobody, you're not incentivized at all to kind of have that build up of score. Even if you can do it, it like in chess, there's a lot of defensive options. And so if you want to set up something tricky, then you can, because you can kind of surround those pieces with the other pieces and, and kind of set up a perimeter. But in Bejeweled, where everything is just kind of on the board, if you're trying to set up something for long-term success, like people, there's no, there's no incentive for other people to not ruin it for you. Right, because whoever takes the, the match kind of gets it. Maybe. Okay, here we go. Hear me out. The concept in Bejeweled of kind of hitting four things in a row to create one, like, super gem. Mm-hmm. Maybe creating a super gem claims it for a player mm-hmm. right so when you have the initial stage of people combining to get these four up super gems there's like a land claiming thing happening and then matches that involve that gem in the future you get some amount of credit for it if somebody else matched it or you you get like extra credit for it if you manage to capitalize on the match so another direction we can take this is uh there's a few uh, there's a few like battle uh matching games 
like yeah. Marvel Puzzle Quest and Puzzle and Dragon, where the the matching is actually like kind of literalized into some other type of gameplay mechanic and something that's more uh, aggressive. And uh, so, you know, something like that could also work, but. Also, I mean, I think this is a challenging idea, so I don't want to just like make it easier for ourselves if we're uh, pursuing new territory. I just wanted to kind of throw that out there. Yeah. So what are some of the mechanics that you get in those? I mean, like, I feel like in some of those you you're dealing with players that have health bars. So maybe uh, do we yeah. need the concept of energy or health, like aside from the the points? Right, just kind of a standard RPG type setup where you're either fighting monsters, you're fighting enemy mobs or bosses or whatever, and you uh, and generally in a Marvel Puzzle Quest, anyways, the different colors of gems represent different power sets, and so you can you can have heroes that are you know proficient in lightning or something, and then you can match lightning gems and activate those attacks. Okay, so maybe in addition to like that that splash of color, then you could ha- take on also something where matches of that color give you like your special ability, give you charges to use your special mm-hmm. ability, whether whether or not you potentially made the match. I think that that is kind of interesting that you could, if you just feverishly start matching, you could start feeding an opponent like that's opposite of you you could start feeding their mm. abilities and now all of a sudden you're kind of in this like standoff of like okay well i've got more matches than you but you can kind of just ruin my day yeah, uh, and take a bunch of credit for matches that i maybe uh maybe have set up so you're getting points and you need points but at the same time you're kind of feeding your enemy uh what they need to to do better in the long run yeah it could be one of those things where at, at this point, there's too many things to kind of keep in your head at a time, but at least that would be a level of complexity that would make you think twice before you just blindly match the first like yeah. set of three things you find. That's a good point. Let's end it there. What are we going to call this one? You know, they already took uh, Bejeweled Blitz, <laughs> so I guess <laughs> I can't use that. I mean, why not? Let's. Why don't we do like Bejeweled Battle or Bejeweled Battle Royale? Even like, what do you what do you think? Jeez. Yeah, I mean, if it was a three-player game, you can call it three-jeweled, but that's a weird number of players. If it's not bi-jeweled, I feel like bejeweled battle has to be already named. Begooled. Begooled. Oh, beguiled. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's pretty good. (laughs) There it is. Beguiled. All right. Beguiled. I like that. People won't understand until they listen to the episode. That's right. Now we're going to our community. We um, hear from Spencer Saunders, who we haven't heard from for for a very long time now. (laughs) Uh, Spencer writes in, The short and needlessly snarky version of this pitch is Persona, but replace the bad parts with good parts. Though I suppose you could probably prefer the long version. From what I've seen and played of Persona, they often have a core theme of creating and growing friendships, a theme which is mechanized through the social link system. I would like to propose an inversion of the theme. You play as a character who has moved into a point of their life where they have to leave many of their friends elsewhere, or perhaps their friends are leaving them. As tends to happen, some friendships may be maintained over time and distance, but many others would quickly pass into memory. This takes the already fun part of Persona, the the social sim, and tasks you with deciding who to dedicate time to, while also juggling your other responsibilities. The second part of the game, 
where we replace the bad part of Persona, comes during the nights and weekends, in which you must fight off some physical embodiment of the struggles of loneliness and stagnation. This portion of the game, I think, would be interesting as an arcade fighter, but I'm open to other ideas. How you have dealt with other characters in the game will determine what difficulty your opponents will be and will influence your fighting style. Alright, starting the clock. Wow. Well, I will tell you this. I was riveted and you had me when you said replace the bad parts of Persona with the good with good parts. <laughs> and then you lost me when we disagreed about what the bad parts of Persona were. <laughs> uh I I'm excited to talk about this because I hate all the social link stuff in Persona, so I'm interested in Oh, I like to... that stuff. That's yeah, good. everybody likes that. So that's the one thing about that game <laughs> that I'm just like, I don't want to talk to anybody. But it sounds like this might suit me because maybe being antisocial is the name of the game here. So this is an interesting setup here is that you are physically removed from all these people and you can choose to either email or call them or whatever. Maybe you're on like a space mission or something. Oh, yes. I guess whatever you're fighting against are all like, I don't know, the type of hallucinations that like people on in movies that are stranded on stranded on islands get or something like that, you know? Yeah, that's really cool. And the setting of space is a great reason to say like, oh, hey, the number of transmissions you can make in a time period are, yeah. are limited, right? So what I think is cool about the premise is the the idea of having a calendar. You know, you have this kind of calendar persona that's like, hey, here's all the things that you could do and things, that, <laughs> but you're kind of, kind of, you know, there's FOMO, right? You're going to kind of miss out on some of them. Mm -hmm. The FOMO, though, is always potential FOMO. The idea of like, oh, well, you just missed Joe's birthday. You know, you just missed Mary's wedding anniversary. Or like you had all these friends and you just slowly... This is a very typical thing in adulthood, too. If you make a lot of friends when you're younger and then you kind of... You know, people have babies, they get married, they move away. The idea of saying, mm, you know, this person is not a, a big enough thing anymore. Maybe the idea is to hold on to as many relationships by the end of the game as you can. Maybe there's some sort of an inverse relationship between holding on to relationships and actually accomplishing your job. Uh, not that I want to encourage people to just like go off and be loners in the world, but... Um, <laughs> You can either do your job or have friends. You know, do as I say and not as I do. Uh, what if it's like the movie Interstellar where you kind of play with the passage of time and that as you do more of your work, maybe you're experimenting with uh, with time manipulation technology or something that will eventually save the world. But every time that you get really deep into it and every time that you, you know, go into the actual gameplay portion of the game, time passes quicker and so as you dungeon oh. crawl or do whatever you do in Persona, uh, I mean, I've played Persona, but whatever you do in this version of the game, yeah, uh, you know, more and more time passes and then you miss more and more of your friends' lives. And, you know, you, you want to get back before everyone dies. But, um, you know, if you're up there, it just takes as long as it takes to accomplish your mission. Right. And if you missed connections and these the the levels have become more difficult and they take more time to accomplish mm -hmm. i almost feel like that's double punishing you but maybe that is effective in that scenario let's say as you talk to people you gain skills that you can use in the gameplay portion of the game 
And so it makes that portion easier. You're given some incentive to do that. But let's see, what is the downside then? Uh, maybe I'm just heaping all the incentives onto one side there. So, okay, let's go through some of the, the individual things that happen in this game. I think it would be interesting if you had something of a social media feed that you potentially scrolled through and you checked. Mm -hmm. And I like the idea of if you choose to opt out of a conversation, maybe it's somebody's, you know, a special event for them. Maybe it's just a totally mundane day. But because of that, they never tell you about this important thing that's about to happen in their life. So like by the time they get married or they have that child or whatever it is in their life, their life event occurs. Mm -hmm. Since you never talked to them about it, you chose not to speak to them for whatever reason. Maybe you're developing somebody else. By the time that thing rolls around, they're really not in any mood to talk to you. Anyway, they're like, oh, you know, you didn't seem to care before, right? That kind of <laughs> painful reminder of sometimes the choices that we make. Mm -hmm. That could be really interesting to like, you don't find out somebody was going to have a child. You don't find out about somebody's diagnosis even. And the next time you talk to them, they don't even bring it up because, oh, I thought everybody knew at this point. I mean, you want to you want to give the player the the idea that they're missing things. And so if you were never to bring it up, then they wouldn't have any way unless you hear it from other people or whatever. Um, right. But yeah, I like this idea of like people hold some sort of a resentment. Although, I mean, it's not like you're up there just you know, having a vacation. <laughs> yeah, that's like, true. When the the space setting makes you very sympathetic <laughs> as a character, doesn't yeah. it? Maybe it's just Iowa instead of space. Maybe you need to continue doing this research to power your own spaceship. And so it's it's the balance between doing the work, mm. which kind of chips away at this gauge that you need to fill throughout the entire game or whatever. You need to solve this problem by the end of the game. And that kind of like heals you. It makes life easier. It makes you, it gives the ship more energy to produce food or it allows you to sleep better. Or it basically like refills your HP, I guess. It, it makes everything function more optimally. You have energy, which could be diverted either into making phone calls back to earth or to growing food. And so you have to choose there, but if you go and do these missions, then you start to have a surplus and you can afford to make more calls, you know? The thing you're incentivized to do is to self-maintain, right? And to think about and sort of work on yourself, work on your environment, work on the, the either the physical or the, you know, mental well-being of your character. Mm -hmm. The inverse is the social, is the kind of are talking to people because you have to in order to make the dungeon easier i i'm a little tripped up you could even pull in like darkest dungeon type of elements where if you don't talk to people for too long then you start to go crazy or something and there's all these kind of like inverse mental effects and so you have to balance the actual physical survival of maintaining your ship and performing these missions to give your ship energy versus the mental necessity of keeping up with your friends and your family and everything. But, you know, they are rapidly aging every time you go into the dungeons. And so you can either choose to kind of hold on to a moment right here and now, or you can go into the dungeon to, you know, do your best to survive uh, another night. 
Yeah, I think like most sci-fi, the, the movie Moon comes to mind here, mm-hmm. right? Where there's there's almost no version of this that doesn't feel like it ends bleakly. Yeah, that's true. I mean, there are there's room for that, like in a papers please type scenario. Yeah, I guess so. I I think it's interesting when Spencer talks about in this pitch, the idea of you're literally fighting off. You're fighting off the bad dreams. Maybe, mm-hmm. maybe after you have conversations with certain people, it creates a certain type of dream, right? Maybe you have certain thoughts and feelings about all the different people you talk to. Maybe you're in good standing in the relationship or bad standing in the relationship. But depending on what both you think of that person and how the interaction with them went, you kind of leave yourself with some baseline level of either happiness or anxiety. So you know that, you know, if you have a really difficult conversation with somebody that you love, you know, you might be in for a rough night. Whereas uh, if you have a really potentially pleasant conversation with someone who you haven't talked to in a long time, an old friend, you could be in for a potentially more forgiving battle, I guess, that evening, as silly as that that feels like to say when we're talking about these kind of sensitive social things. Let's wrap that one and let's find a name. Right. I'm going to take a pull here from my favorite television show, Star Trek The Next Generation. Lonely Among Us. That's a good one. I mean, he isn't actually among us, but <laughs> that's you true. Get the idea. And he is actually lonely. So, yeah, I think that fits just fine. All right. Well, that, uh, that was a pitch from Spencer Saunders from our community. Uh, if you would like to write us in, that is playwrightcast at gmail.com. You can go to our website, playwrightcast.com slash pitch, or you can tweet us at playwrightcast. Special thank you to Protodome for the use of our theme song, Hello World, from the album Blue Noise. It's very good, and you can listen to it while you're checking out our show that is now available on Spotify. That's right. If you're a spot ahead, I think that's what those people are called. Um, <laughs> if you're a spotty boy or a spotty girl, Playwright is now available on Spotify. So go open up Spotify right now. Give it a search, P-L-A-Y-W-R-I-T-E, and hopefully you'll find us there and we'll get all sorts of uh, warm feelings. I don't know if you can even review us on, on Spotify, but if you can, do it. <laughs> if not, go ahead over to Apple Music uh, and Apple Podcasts and leave us a review there. That That helps us get found. That's right. Now you can just, uh, you can request Siri, play my favorite podcast. <laughs> is, is that true? Uh, I mean, maybe. <laughs> yeah. You know what? You could set it up. Yeah. That's Spotify. Right. I feel like there has to be some sort of an interaction. In iOS 12, you can set up a Siri shortcut and you can say, Siri, play my favorite podcast. And mm-hmm. on will, you could say, Hey, Hey Siri, what are H and Q up to? And then, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Oh my God, that just triggered my Siri. Speaking of which, I do want to make this programming note. I know a lot of people have written in and you have to wait usually a very long time to hear your pitch Mm -hmm. uh, if we're getting through a bunch. But we are uh, coming to the bottom of the barrel here. So if you write in your idea, you will probably hear it as soon as next week. Um, But we will we will manage that accordingly. But we are ready for your pitches so right in and it doesn't have to be a big idea it can be just hey what if tetris plus Fortnite, but not yeah. that idea because that was bad i bet there's something there <laughs> we could try it we can make it work let's let's go out with a miniature idea today what i want to do is 
inspired by that Harry Potter MMO that is apparently in development. Whoa. <laughs> uh, whoops. Yeah. Uh, did you see that? The video leak? I did. Yeah. yeah. Um, I want to do a Harry Potter type game crossed with the Euro truck simulator type games where you play as owls delivering packages. Oh, perfect. All right. Well, we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.